0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our series, The Power of the Gospel, with Dr. John Newfeld. In today's message, we'll look at the assurance of God's love and what that means for all believers. So let's go back to the Bible now as we turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter five, verses one to four.
1: I wonder if you've ever had an experience that goes something like this. You're in church and it's time for communion. And as the words of the Lord's table are being read, they include the very familiar, if anyone partakes of this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner. And as that's being read, you feel something inside of you just tensing up. Perhaps you remember how you shouted at your teenage daughter last night and it wasn't pretty. Or perhaps you're constantly struggling with lust. Or perhaps your giving record proves that you're a miser and your checkbook proves you don't really love the things of God as you should. Or perhaps it's been over a week since you've read your Bible and prayed and whatever it is, you believe that given your record, you would be partaking of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Have you ever felt that way? Let me try something else. Have you ever had something bad happen to you and then have thought, I think God's now punishing me for my sins? Here's one more question. Do you sense the smile of God on your life? I mean, do you really? In your heart, do you believe that God finds delight in you and deeply cherishes you? Are you convinced there are absolutely no outstanding issues between you and God? Now, the reason I ask these questions is because I am convinced, as we have now started, a new series on the power of the gospel in which we will speak about our growth into holiness, that many Christians are not convinced that all is well between themselves and God. There is in their hearts a deep sense that something is wrong. And here now is the issue. We've embarked upon a series in which we will learn about the wonderful privilege of growing into sanctification or growing into holiness. And truth be told, a great many of us think we would never make it. We've already failed so badly. There are already so many strikes against us. If we just made it to heaven, that would probably be the most that we could hope for. So let's get back to the questions. Do you think, once you have been saved, that you can sin your way out of God's grace? If you think you can, you will live with continual uncertainty. So if you want to grow in holiness, and you do if you're a true believer— If you have been genuinely converted so that your heart of stone has been replaced by a heart that loves the things of God, then at the very outset, at the very beginning, you will need the assurance that God will never let you go. You're eternally his. But someone will object. If we dare teach that true believers are secure in Christ, if that's what we teach, people will sin with impunity. Hear me now. No, they won't. Listen to 1 John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Well, in this series on the power of the gospel, there's so much to talk about for five weeks. So let's start by reading our passage for today. It's Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want at the outset to compare two Bible verses, first back in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 1.4, which declares the heart of the gospel, began by pointing out the problem. All human beings are sinful, both by nature and by choice. And God is dreadfully provoked so that he has become our enemy. Now let's read Romans 5.1 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it was John MacArthur who told of an experience in which he had been called to give a pre-game chapel service devotional for a professional football team. The coach said after the chapel, I don't know if there's a God, but I like having these chapels because if there is one, I want to be sure he's on my side. But, And this is the point of Romans 1. God is never on the side of those who do not believe. Romans 1 speaks of the wrath of God being poured out on everyone. What I'm about to say may sound political, but I don't intend any political statement by it. I am, however, reminded that at the end of the initial assault on Iraq, the then U.S. president stood on board of a ship and pronounced the end of hostilities— See, nothing could have been further from the truth. Hostilities in that part of the world were only beginning. See, the message of Romans 1 is the same. We may think of it as the end to the hostility between us and God, but that end never comes until we believe, and until all lawless deeds are forgiven and our sins are covered. God will never be at peace with us until Christ's wrath-bearing, bloody sacrifice atones for our sins. But, says Romans 5.1, once we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The war is over, and no, it's not as some of us have imagined this thing. It is not that in our conversion we have an uneasy truce until the next time our sin flares up once more. The peace wrought through the blood of Christ is a complete and perfect and lasting peace, not a grudgingly given peace, but a joyful peace. And just so we know, the issue here is not whether there is an objective or a subjective peace, that is, a peace declared in heaven or one felt in our heart. Both are true. The battle is over. God has conquered you through Christ, and you are his. And God is at peace with you. See, I want you to imagine a train, a long one, more than 100 cars long, each one loaded with an extremely heavy load, climbing up Rogers Pass, going east from Vancouver towards Calgary. Finally, it reaches the summit, and then the entire pathway becomes easy as it highballs its way all the way to Calgary. Christ has overcome the great obstacle of the wrath of God, and now all barriers have been removed. Once you are in Christ, God's anger with you has been satisfied. Listen, God is not angry with you. There are no outstanding issues between you and God. Christ, by his blood, has carried away all your sins, all your past sins, all your present sins. His blood covers all your future sins. In other words, if you're born again, there is right now not one thing that stands between you and God. You have been justified by faith. The only justification for your sins is the death of Jesus, and that justifies you completely. Second You have become a recipient of God's good intentions. In verse 2a, we read, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Now, there are two words I want you to notice in this passage. The first is the word access. The word carries with it the root, which means to be granted an unlimited audience with the king. I want you to imagine that you had an invitation to meet with Queen Elizabeth at Buckingham Palace. You come to the door of the palace, and there's a guard in your way. You show him your invitation, he lets you through. You show up at the next door to her royal highness's chamber. Another guard stands in your way. You show the same piece of paper and he looks at it. And then instead of barring the door, he opens the door. You have access. But that's only half the picture. The word carries with it an ongoing sense that is repeated access. Now imagine you get an invitation to meet Queen Elizabeth, and as you look for a time when you're invited, the notice on the card says, lifetime permanent invitation, valid at any time. That would mean that if you can't sleep at 3 a.m., you just wander over to Buckingham Palace, show up unannounced, and show your permanent access card, and sit in the middle of the bed between Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip, and just chat for a while. You'd say, I couldn't sleep, and I, and I need to talk. And they would sit up and say, wow, we're always glad when you're here. See, not bad. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking that I want to tell you that you can go to God at any time in prayer. Well, you can, but that's not the point of verse 2. It doesn't say we have access to God. It says we have access by faith into his grace. So what does that mean? See, grace is God's intention to do us good. And I have a permanent access card. Anytime I want good from God, I get permanent access to good things that come from God. Do you want God to do good to you? Your faith is your access card. See, I'm going to say a lot more about that, but I want that to live in your soul for a while. You have access into God's grace, into his goodness, into his loving kindness. Well, we're going to say a lot more when we come back.
0: As believers, some of us might struggle or perhaps have struggled with realizing the full extent of God's love. It's easy to think that we have something to prove to God, even despite the fact that He has saved us completely through His death and sacrifice on the cross. In this introduction, we're reminded of the fact that not only are true believers in Christ free from the guilt and power of sin, but that because of our faith, we have unlimited access to His grace. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us understand more fully what this really means. Do you or someone you know have questions about the topic of Jesus' second coming? Well, we've got a great offer for you this month. Dr. Neufeld's recent new series, Remembering the Second Coming of Jesus, is available on CD for free when you call or email us. This series answers some of the many questions people have about an often misunderstood topic. A great overview of what the return of Christ really means and how it will change the way we live today. To get your free CD series, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or email us at info at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld.
1: I said there were two important words in the first part of verse 2. One was access, and the other, well, it says we have access into His grace in which we stand. We're intended to see two pictures. One is the idea of gaining entrance into grace, but someone might say, well, do I have enough faith to always access grace? Might I forget to go to my bank account of God's goodness and forget to make a withdrawal? Well, that's why we have this second word. You and I, who believe in Jesus and have been justified by faith, are right now standing knee-deep in grace. Grace is all around you. It is the property you're standing on. You don't have to look for it. You are living in Graceland. Okay, great, but, but what does that mean? It means that God will never stop doing good to you every single year, every single month, every single day, every single moment. Everything that happens to you from the moment you say yes to Jesus will be orchestrated by God to be an expression of God's goodness to you. The battle is over. I'm at peace with God. I'm a recipient of God's good intentions, and I am standing waist deep in grace. It pervades me. Now to the last half of verse 2, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, what is the hope of the glory of God? Well, from the first four chapters of Romans, Paul has made it clear that we all fall short of the glory of God. But we also learn that Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross for our sins highlights or showcases the righteous character of God so that God is glorified in the death of Jesus. But since we are united with Christ in His death, then the objects of Christ's mercy in the cross share in the glory of the cross. Our lives, simply because we have been saved, make much of God's greatness. See, I often hear believers say, I want to live life to the glory of God. It's a good prayer. But according to the Bible, the mere fact that you trust in Christ's cross for your salvation glorifies God in a way that all your faithfulness to him never could. When God had mercy on you in Jesus, he showcased how great he was and how great Christ was and your salvation makes much of God. You do glorify God and will glorify God when you appear before him in the final day. God will showcase you. He will say to himself and to the angels and all creation, look how great is my mercy. Your life has a hope in the glory of God. So do you follow? The war is over. You and God are at peace. I am the constant recipient of God's good intentions. And these good intentions are such that God is right in planning to showcase me as an expression of his mercy. Everything in life is great, yes? But is it really so? If I am the recipient of God's good intentions, why did I lose my job? Why did my wife get cancer? Why did my husband walk out on me and end my marriage? I mean, why? How can I have peace with God and be facing the difficulties I face? Well, let's read verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. See, the first thing that we should ask here is, what does Paul mean by suffering? You see, some Bible teachers think that Paul only means those sufferings that come directly to believers as a result of their Christian confession. In other words, this only refers to persecution. But the term suffering is never restricted to only one kind of suffering in the Bible. I think Douglas Moo says it right when he says that in a certain sense for the believer, all sufferings are on behalf of Christ. Here's what he says. This is so because all the evil that the Christian experiences in the world reflects the conflict between this age dominated by Satan and the age to come to which the Christian has been transferred by faith, end quote. See, once we understand that, we will see that suffering is never an accident. It is brought into our lives as an act of grace. But how? Well, let's let our Bible explain that. Verse 3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Let me state that another way. Hopeful, faithful, trusting in God while we suffer produces a tenacious character that never quits. I'd like to tell you the story of a woman named Annie Johnson Flint. She was born in 1866 in Vineland, New Jersey, and lived 66 years. Her parents both died when she was still in her childhood. Her foster parents also both passed away. She had only one sister who was constantly sick. In spite of terrible challenges facing her, she managed to attend a school in Trenton, New Jersey, and she became a teacher. But hardly had she begun her profession as a teacher— that she began to notice that she was dealing with constant pain in her body. As a young woman, she was admitted into Clifton Springs Sanatorium and eventually became a helpless invalid. Her pain was so great that by the end of her life, no position left her without pain. She developed severe bed sores and was constantly laid on pillows, but even these presented her with no ease from her pain. You and I would never have heard of Annie Johnston Flint. Hers would have been just another story of suffering in a world that made no sense at all, except that Annie's attitude, well, how can I describe it? She used this time in the sanatorium to begin to write, and people read what she wrote. And I'm going to let one of her writings in one of her own poems tell her story. This is what she wrote. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy, to multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the other day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit, His grace has no measure, His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Can you see what hopeful, faith-filled suffering does? It makes us aware of love and grace and strength and mercy and peace and endurance. All those words that Annie used are the very words found in Romans 5. In verse 3, Paul says that it produces endurance, a courage that never stops. It produces the ability to hang in there, no matter what. It forges something made of enduring steel that comes only from the fire. Now to verse 4. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The word for character comes from a root word which speaks of a metalsmith. As you know, a metalsmith uses intense heat to melt gold, and when it is completely melted, all the impurities fall down to the bottom, and what is left, when the gold is skimmed off, the top is the real thing. And that's what God is doing in our lives. He wants to take away all the impurities. He wants to take away our fascination for this world. He wants us no longer to be dominated by sin. He wants us to have life which is powerful in Jesus, vision-directed, fulfilled, and God-centered. And when we have suffered in hope, it brings undying courage, and undying courage brings us to pure Christian character. And from this, hope is produced. Well, how so? Because you know how your suffering will end. As Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now to verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, the idea of shame refers to the potential of a negative outcome or a negative verdict in our life. It is what some people have when they suffer. Perhaps they fear this will expose their weakness or highlight their sin or will be proved to come as a result of sin or in some way ruin them. But our suffering is in hope, and hope, at least the biblical variety, never puts us to shame. And why is that? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. What I'm about to say might seem obvious, but it needs to be emphasized. The passage does not say that our love for God in the trials of life keeps being poured out from our hearts towards God. No, the passage says the opposite. God's love towards us is poured out into our hearts. This is through the Holy Spirit, probably meaning that the Holy Spirit is giving us a subjective experience of the love of God that comes to us from the cross. Dear Christian, God smiles on you. Please stay tuned as we continue through this study of Romans 5 to 8.
0: Thanks, John, for sharing this message with us today. But if what you're saying is true, if what Paul is saying true, this whole grace thing, it's really nothing to be feared, is it?
1: Yeah. so many people are afraid this might be true. They're afraid that other people will get away with something. And because they're afraid of that, they're also afraid to believe that it would be true for them. Hear this, if anyone is justified by faith, they have peace with God. The war is over, God smiles on you, and you're accepted in His presence. Wonderful words, grasp them, believe them.
0: What an amazing picture of God's love for His children. These verses in Romans 5 helps us to understand how wide and deep and full is the love of God. Through salvation, we've been set free to live in His grace every day, no matter what we go through in this life. Being assured of God's love is the key to walking closer with Him and growing in holiness. May we continue to meditate on these truths, allowing the Spirit to transform us and apply this teaching in our lives. That concludes our message for today, but be sure to listen tomorrow as Dr. Newfeld continues to teach from Romans chapter 5 in this series, The Power of the Gospel. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. In the midst of an increasingly secular society, generations of people in this country are growing up without any awareness of the God of the Bible. The predominant worldview instead encourages them to look to themselves and humanity for the ultimate answers, not God himself. As Christians, we may often feel discouraged to see our world heading in this direction, but there is hope. That's what we believe at Back to the Bible Canada. And it's why we're determined to speak into and touch more lies for the kingdom in 2016. We believe and we know that it's only through faithfulness to God's word that people of all backgrounds will come to know the truth. Here's an example of the kind of impact this program is having in their lives. Rachel wrote, thank you for blessing my life with your program. You've allowed me to gain a relationship with God that I'm trusting in. I'm not sure where I would have obtained this if it weren't for you. Such a wonderful testimony and a blessing to be able to speak into her life. Did you know that you can play a part in helping listeners like Rachel while we're depending upon your support to carry out our renewed vision for 2016 and beyond? If you believe in the importance of this ministry, please consider a gift today. We'd be so grateful with either a one-time donation or joining our monthly partnership, our Partner to Tell campaign. You can donate online at backtothebible.ca or call us today at 1-800-663-2425.